Blog Talk Radio. Talk Radio, where we discuss business, politics, and culture. I'm your host, Donya Keating, live in the Seattle area at about 2 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time on Tuesday, January 19th. Listeners, you can dial 646-378-0261 to chime in live. Press 1 on your keypad when you're ready to speak, and if you'd rather send us a comment or a question via chat, you can open that up and go. And as we have said, each show, sometimes it gets a little bit wonky where we may not see it. Um, Some have suggested that having a Blog Talk Radio account makes that easier. Um, but I would have to say that over the last few shows, it's been it's been working pretty well in getting the questions and comments to us. This is another one of those topic requests from listeners where they say they want to hear about it. And, you know, you're kind of chasing the headlines. It's a hot topic because of what happened with Obama at the um, earlier part of the year, and then it kind of tapers off, and then the next headline comes up. But um, So this is one of those shows where you call in and speak your piece and talk about it, um, because me, I don't think me and Charles have a whole heck of a lot to, to dig into here. It's pretty obvious, and I know he said he's going to join us today, so I think he's out there. Um, otherwise, we're just going to treat it kind of as a PSA. We might share some pro and con thoughts or, or polling information about it before signing off, but you know, really not going to spend a lot of time on that. So if Charles is out here, Charles, are you out here? I am out here. Yay. Okay, good. So... Do you want to do the usual thing and just tell us a little bit about yourself personally and professionally before we move on into talking about this? Well, personally, I was born in the Chicago area, actually out in the suburbs, moved down into the city, and then relocated out into the Seattle area uh, back in 96 and been out here for 20 years. Uh, So I kind of come from a Midwest background, um, somewhat conservative slash progressive, I don't know what you would call that nowadays. Uh, professionally, I'm an IT consultant, and uh, I advise clients in IT strategies and technology, uh, but also a lot, of, a lot of business advice, and I'm also kind of an avid uh, reader of lots of things, so I spend a lot of time reading the news and different articles and stuff like that, so I try to keep abreast of a lot of trends. Yeah, thank you. And um, you know, people have asked, well, who is you know, Straight Talk Radio? And it's 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 a project of professional options, which is my firm, and my firm is a um, leadership and management consulting firm. We do a lot of public policy, but we also do business consulting, technology integration, um, and we do a, we have a lot of projects that are involved with capacity building and economic development, and just a lot of different things that cross. Uh, into subjects like this. I mean, from a personal perspective, I've always been interested in a variety of of uh, subjects, um, science, technology, math, uh, politics, obviously, and just pretty much anything. Um, so this, this show was kind of one of the vehicles, one of the vehicles that we decided that we would just kind of run with and see what happened with it. We're not really wedded to it. We'll, we'll roll it up when we're done with it. But we started, I think, back in July of 2015, I think. And uh, we just pick a bunch of subjects that are of interest, and we started off having a lot more guests. And then that kind of became 
I don't know, you know, some people wanted it to be kind of a talking heads thing where they were showcasing something and you know, we just want to talk about subjects. We're not we're not looking to to promote anybody. And so the other part of that was we have the dream I'm going to get the name wrong. The the dream something. Dream anyway, Dream Weavers, there you go, <laughs> where we actually have a very specific slant where we talk to people that have decided after years of working with a company that they're going to burn their ships and go out and strike out on their own as entrepreneurs. And we kind of ask them questions about, you know, what are the best practices, lessons learned, would you do it again, and, you know, things like that. And we kind of tapered off on that as well, too, and started doing more of a gun debate and, you know, different uh, topics like that just to have some conversation with you and figure out what you you want to talk about out there. So, Let's move forward, and the first thing that I would say about this debate when I saw it come up and they said, oh, somebody wants to talk about this, is this gets really boring for me very quickly. I, I don't like debates that break down into very simplistic partisan-type uh, positionings and postures, and, and this is one of them, and it really comes down to the Second Amendment, you know, from my cold, dead hands, what we've talked about, versus the uh, assumption that people that own guns are gun nuts and that they care more about their guns than people. And both of those things uh, tend to be very um, false. And so it's clearly much more complex than that. And and who wants to waste their time in that sort of muck? So um, I'll kick it off by saying that one of the things that has happened recently, earlier in the year, is that President Obama announced that he would bypass Congress with executive actions to tighten access to guns, um, with a measure that strengthens background checks for would-be gun buyers. And the shooting in San Bernardino, California last year was probably the straw in, in the camel's back for a lot of people. Um, I don't think that there's anyone out there, gun owner or otherwise, who wants people to be shot up in theaters or in colleges or wherever um, or at their places of work. I don't think anybody wants that. And the thing here is um, sticking with the facts in terms of who wants what there have been dozens of polls over the past two decades, and Americans have been asked if they support expanding background checks for the purchase of firearms. And these checks are run to prevent sales to people who would have been convicted, who have been convicted of certain crimes, who are running from the law, who are otherwise banned from buying guns for a variety of reasons. Um, there have been discussions about mental illness and, and uh, checkpoints there to make sure that they're included in that category. But the specifics of the polling questions have varied. You know, sometimes they're being asked about the Brady Bill, which is the 1993 bill that required background checks for purchases from licensed dealers. And sometimes those questions are about circumstances for which federal law doesn't currently require checks, such as sales from unlicensed sellers or of ammunition. But the point is, consistently, that at least 70% of Americans have said they favor background checks, and that number has been shown to be even higher. So there was a New York Times poll, a CBS News um, New York Times poll, that found that 92% of Americans, which included 87% of Republicans, favor background checks for all gun buyers. So it kind of makes you go back to if you have all of this polling data to show that most people agree with this, then what's the fight about? What's the argument about, Charles? Well, I think the people that uh, own guns or, you know, not even gun owners, I don't even think this issue, you know, when I looked at what Obama was doing is he's just trying to find a better way to enforce, I think, what is already existing laws on the books, although in some ways there's loopholes in that implementation. And I think, for instance, uh, there's background checks if you buy a gun uh, online, 
But if you go to a gun show, it doesn't require a background check. Now, this day and age, you have to be online in order to process credit cards almost all the time. There should be some way to process identity or background checks. I think this whole idea that it should be easy to buy a gun as, you know, a box of crackers is, is nuts. I don't, you know, and I think that's what the people are trying to say. They're saying is guns are a special type of device that requires, you know, appropriate training, and some people shouldn't have them. You know, if somebody's, you know, been convicted of a violent crime, they're not supposed to own a gun. Um, so, you know, they shouldn't be able to go to uh, an in-person gun show and buy a gun, um, and that's what I think the the spirit of what he was trying to he was trying to tap that down, if if I recall correctly. So interesting points um, about gun ownership. I mean, there are some comments out there and stats out there and are you know counterpoints that the majority of um, crimes committed with guns are by people that you know or domestic violence or whatever. And then there's some other comments that push back against that and say, hey, the majority of gun related deaths are actually suicides. And so. You know, it's not like people are saying, hey, let's not count these as being significant because people are killing themselves. It's really about the mechanism and how easy it is to commit certain crimes using certain weapons. But you made an interesting comment about guns on the Internet, and some of the stuff that I found out there uh, indicated that thousands of guns are available for sale over the Internet to buyers, and they don't have to undergo um, background checks because the sellers are not considered regular dealers. And that's why under the White House plan, um, people who sell only at gun shows or exclusively online might need to be licensed, but there's no specific threshold number of firearms purchased or sold that triggers the licensure requirement, according to um, the fact sheet that went out. I think it was a, a fact sheet from um, released by the White House um, that talked about the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosive Plants to clarify and in many cases expand the definition of being engaged in the business of selling guns um, as a criteria that determines whether a seller has to get a federal license and then therefore must check the backgrounds of would-be buyers. But, you know, the the thing with the Obama and why did, why did this happen is even with the um, Democratic-controlled Senate, couldn't muster enough support to prevent uh, the filibuster of a proposed expansion back in 2013 after the Newtown school shootings. And, you know, he really isn't proposing anything as extensive as the kinds of background checks that Americans have been polled about. So, Yeah, I, no, I it isn't. Um, it, yeah. It's, very, it's very minimal stuff that he's proposed from what I've read. I, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a perception problem in that when people want to approach, you know, gun control laws, there's kind of this overarching, let's get guns out of everybody's hands because they're just such a dangerous thing. And then there's people that say, well, sometimes guns are used to safely defend people. And I actually, you know, of, of the camp that um, if I wanted to own a gun, I would want to have that option because, for instance, if somebody threatened me but they weren't incarcerated, but, you know, I felt that they might be armed and they might, might be able to cause me harm, I wouldn't want my only ability to defend myself to be to rely upon a phone call to the police or a court order. I mean, I think that's, you know, people people have uh, a right to defend themselves, and of course, you go all the way up to the arguments to the framers of the Constitution. It was like it, it was to defend yourself against the corrupt government, and I think that's still not something that's out of the water. There's plenty of corrupt governments in the world, and even if you look at the U.S. government, and say, well, we're relatively not corrupt. Well, <laughs> we have our issues too, and I think people have a right to defend themselves. So I think that's they use this art, argument to argue against any type of measure or control, and yet it's, it's, it's obvious. Guns are a special 
device that require regulation, just like cars are regulated. Cars are very useful, but I wouldn't want somebody with absolutely no training just hopping in a car and driving around because they could kill you, right? You require a license to operate a car because operating it and not knowing what the hell you're doing is a dangerous thing. I think in terms of guns, you know, people should be required to have at least some basic safety training. Um, they shouldn't be, you know, mentally ill, and they shouldn't be convicted of a crime. You know, and if you pass, you know, relatively small thresholds, you know, you should, be, you should have an opportunity to, uh, to own a weapon if you feel like that's necessary for your safety. You know, and I think the thing is they argue against it so vehemently because they think, you know, there's this opportunity to say, well, if we take away guns from everybody, everybody would be safer. And I don't believe that's true. So You know, and I think the other – the White House is – you know, it's, it's you, yeah. It's not just about the the enforcement or the background checks or whatever. I mean, I think that everyone that has a gun recognizes. Of course, you get the the, the news articles that make people say that we don't, and I say we because you know, as a, a gun owner, or, and it's you you know, oh my God, it, it went off and they shot themselves in the foot in the grocery store and open carry and without concern to the you know the society that they're around and. Who's and kids that are getting access to guns, or somebody cleaning a gun in front of people and it goes off. I mean, these are all really stupid things, undeniably stupid things that gun owners should really get much better about uh, getting off of the table in terms of having the responsibility and having the requisite training to be able to own something. I mean, you have to go through a test in order to be able to drive, and you have to go through driving school. Um, so why wouldn't you be able to um, or shouldn't be required to uh, go through some training after you have your background check to make sure that you understand everything that's involved with gun ownership, um, gun, ma gun maintenance, and just plain old common sense. So I think the other part of the argument that people have with the gun control debate and, and curbing violence is that, you know, you have to step up enforcement of your existing laws. And, you know, if you've got people that are out there that are not abiding by the law and they are the ones that are getting the guns, then you need to be able to reassure the population that you're going to do things to make sure that people that are concerned for their safety, whether you agree with it or not, in terms of them owning a gun as the tool for protecting themselves, you can't put people out there in society where only the criminals and law enforcement have guns. So there is that piece where the White House has proposed to um, have other measures, but they really need to start focusing on those, too, because really the expanding background checks is in the lead item in their in their own blog post um, on his executive actions. And so um, and then that's being tweeted and whatnot. So that just gives people more fodder to to have things to contest. But, um, you know, going back to the popularity of background checks, it goes beyond age and political party and gender and education and even gun ownership. I mean, it's it's so toxic and partisan out there that you can't get through to people about that. But um, the other thing is about polling. Um, like the National NRA said that the majority of Americans oppose more gun gun control. So it opens up the floor, you know, with all these other polls that are out there that say just the opposite to question, well, what's accurate and what isn't? And, you know, obviously Americans' responses to polls on guns, they're, they're not always consistent. And, you know, I've done a lot of polling work in the past when I worked out on the East Coast. And people have a tendency to tell you what they think a, you want to hear, or B, they give you kind of their best possible selves in a, in a poll. 
even if they don't really believe that. So, for instance, there was a poll at a university where half of the respondents said they opposed stricter gun laws in the U.S. And yet, in another poll, those same people said they backed a law requiring background checks. And so you say, well, if you oppose stricter gun laws and, and you require background checks, how do you actually expect anything to get done? Yeah, so how would you I, un- I just, unpack that flip-flopping? How would you unpack that? Well... I think right now there there isn't an easy way because there's a benefit from the partisan gridlock. You know, they're they're saying, you know, we're going to protect our constituencies' interests, you know, in in opposition, whether or not they really agree with some elements of what they're talking about. Um, you know, I, I just think right now it's just kind of a mishmash. And I think the other thing is too, um, you know, depending upon how that question is phrased, just like you say. You know, if somebody said, you know, I want to, I want to abolish gun ownership, you're going to get a different response than saying gun control. It, it really should be the whole term should go away. It's not gun control; it's gun regulation, right? We want to regulate. We we want to enforce proper regulations in a market um, so that you know people have rights, but you know they use them responsibly, kind of thing. So I don't know. Maybe that's just as negative as quote unquote control. You know, well, but you it know, is for what some... it is. It's some, for some stricter gun laws, it could include a wide range of measures, and I think that's part of it. Um, some that are far less popular than the background checks. And you know, since 1959, Gallup has asked people whether they think there should be a law banning possession uh, possession of handguns, except for by the police and other authorized persons. And so, 60% of people have said yes to that when the question was first asked, and then at least 40% agreed in most subsequent polls until the passage of the Brady Bill. And now it's just a quarter of people that back a total ban. Um, So before the assault weapon ban was enacted in 1994, until soon after it expired 10 years later, it consistently drew support of 60% of Americans, even more. And lately now, you know, more Americans oppose it than supported it in two recent polls that took place, I think, back in December. Um, Pew Research Center has always asked since about 1993, what do you think is more important, to protect the right of Americans to own guns or to control gun ownership? I mean, I think it's kind of a misleading question. But the point is that back then, 35% supported gun rights and 57% supported gun control. So that number's kind of peaked and dropped over the years. And as of July of last year, 50% of people support gun control. And gun rights um, support has mostly trended up over time, and that's now at 47%. So some are speculating that one of the reasons background checks are so popular um, including among gun owners, is that they're kind of seen as a way to control gun ownership and to protect the rights of most Americans. There's kind of a middle line there, um, and those Americans who pass the checks to own the guns. But, um, you know, obviously, if there's a policy to keep the guns out of the hands of the wrong people, I think almost everybody agrees with that. Um, But, you know, Going back to the partisanship and the the toxicity, back when San Bernardino happened, there was an article or an opinion piece, I should say, because there's a difference. I think it was Daily Cause, which is liberal, but it is what it is. And they had a headline that said, um, your opinion on gun control doesn't matter. So obviously, fed into the anger and frustration that gun control advocates were expressing on social media. And the the author accused gun owners of caring more about the right to own a gun than people's lives. And so, you know... It's kind of a ridiculous thing, um, especially with all the Pew Research surveys and whatnot that show that people uh, support banning semi-automatic and assault rep- uh, weapons. But 
I think the bigger point I'm getting at is that for a large portion of Americans, it's about much more than just the guns. You know, some people, like you said, they think that there's a backlash um, there's against government intrusion in their individual lives. Um, there's worries about guns breeding uh, government government intrusion. And I think there was a, a Pew survey or poll that said 57% of adults um, and even 49% of them who had no guns agree that the stricter gun laws would give too much power to the government over average citizens. And then they have a belief that more guns make us safer, like you said before, even though there are some polls that contest that. Um, and then, of course, it's a partisan issue from 93 through 2007. I mean, there's a steady gap between Republicans and Democrats on the importance of gun rights versus gun control. Um, Republicans tend to be split 50-50, even though people don't think that. And Democrats tend to, to break two-thirds in favor of gun control. And I think that that trend that we're talking about up through 2007, it kind of broke really hard after um, Barack was elected president. So. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of just different assumptions about, you know, like the NRA, and they people assume that most gun owners are with the NRA, and they're not, um, and just a lot of different things uh, like that that get into the way of having a reasonable discussion with people about, you know, what should really take place. So um, I don't know. I, I don't think there's any answers. I think people are going to continue to scream at each other until until something gets passed that makes a noticeable difference. In, in not only the laws, but in the enforcement of those laws and in the results in terms of how many people are going to continue to be killed or shot at or whatever. And uh, well, in, interestingly, and interestingly enough, you know, I, I, I wonder, you know, to what degree. I mean, we've obviously had our, our share of mass attacks, yeah. and I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, I, I don't oppose people with concealed carry laws because. You know, if somebody's thinking of planning a mass attack, they can't account for the fact that somebody in that audience may be armed, you know, who could shoot back, you know, that we're not all helpless. I think that that helps, you know, create some some pause for thought in terms of planning. And, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I think about things like, you know, what's happened in Europe with ISIS and a lot of the attacks. You know, are we just so successful in keeping those guys out of the United States, or is there some issues where people give pause? You know, given the high number of gun owners in the United States, you know, that an attack wouldn't be able to proceed the same way. You know, like, you know, you, you wouldn't have minutes to respond to a theater attack or, or, you know, 10, 15 minutes where people have to just duck and cover with a bullet slide that maybe somebody could defend themselves. So, What do you think about that recent situation that happened with those ranchers out there? Oh, I think they're I think they're crazy and they're overstepping their bounds. But I also think that you know the federal government acted uh, very um, what's the, what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, they were very arrogant in, in their application. It's kind of like you know, hey, we're in charge and you know you do what we say kind of thing. And I think that ended up uh, causing people a lot of grief. Well, so the, the, the I, I looked the at the backstory. Yeah. Okay, I was going to say, what do you think about the backstory about the 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 uh, burns and what ended up happening with that family as a result of it? I, I think they I think they got a raw deal, and I think that's given fuel to the people that said, you know, hey, you know, the the uh, the federal government's management of this territory has been very unfair to some of the people who've you know lived there for generations. At least that's what I read in some of the backstory now. You know, was that an authoritative source or was that, you know, slanted information? I have no idea. So thank God I'm not vetting it. But, you know, looking at the backstory, it was kind of like, well, I could see why these people would be very upset. 
because they felt like their their rights were being trampled upon and they had no recourse. And so, you know, it, it's just kind of a situation blew up in their face. Now, it looks like a, a way obvious overreaction, you know, but here's, I guess it's relevant because if you look at gun control, you look at sometimes people, uh, when they're pushed to the, their backs against the wall, you know, guns or the ability to defend oneself is kind of your last resort against an unfair situation. Go all the way back to the American Revolution. You know, it was American farmers taking up guns and forming militias that, you know, helped defend this nation, you know, which was part of Great Britain at the time, uh, to against unfair taxation. So, I mean, you could say in a microcosm, this is kind of like people having their own little mini-revolution, you know, and hopefully it'll cast some light on, you know, decisions that were made, you know, that, you know, I felt the, just in what I was reviewing seemed very unfair to them. Now, that being said... You know, should they be going up and tearing up the refuge and doing some of the things they're doing, you know, and, and, you know, basically holding the area hostage? No, I don't think they should. I think they've made their point, and I would hope they get their day in court. Maybe their day in court's not going to be what they expect. I also think that's part of why the hands-off approach has been taken, because they don't want to have people killed over something and have somebody going back and looking at the backstory and realizing, you know, these people were dying because, you know, they had been, you know, mistreated. And they were trying to defend themselves. That would look well, very bad. Well, the Hammonds don't want the, the guys that were uh, actually put back yeah. into jail for the backburning or the backfires. They had some yeah. witnesses in their trial, even in their family, that said that what they did, what they were alleged to have done, was actually true. And so, you know, maybe there's a backstory about the government harassing them over time or whatever. But that information has not been confirmed. I mean, it's out there and it's alleged, but there's nothing that confirms that it's been true. On the other hand, what's been alleged regarding the backburning and what the Hammonds have done, I mean, it's that has been proven. And so they actually lost that case, and the the laws are such that uh, the court had no right to actually override the mandatory minimum sentence requirements, and that's why they were sent back. Uh, and they don't want anything to do with the Bundys. I mean, the Bundys are kind of taking this situation and running with it to make it their own, you know, platform and, and get on their own speaker's corner kind of platform. But... Uh, you know, and and the, you know, it goes back into that whole thing about, you know, under my, you know, from my cold dead hands, Second Amendment, government, this and that, and uprising, and some of these things are very real and they're out there. Whether or not we consider them serious, or whether or not we consider them something that will will be a quote unquote revolution. I remember you had a discussion with one on one of the Bainbridge Island groups. I think it was Radio Free Bainbridge, or even Bainbridge Islanders, and it's always that stupid guy who's not even real. I shouldn't say he's not really American. He is. He's now a naturalized American. He's from England, and he's just a very nasty uh, type of a personality that really kind of drills conversations down and distills them down to very stupid, myopic, um, us and against type things. But the reality is that, um, you know, this is a situation where if, in fact, people are disenchanted with the government and its intervention, or they don't have the trust in it anymore that it has its citizens' best interest at heart, then, I mean, that was part of the Constitution, too. That was why America was formed. They didn't like the way that the government was going for them over in, in England, and they came over here and they started up their own new government the way that they wanted to. So, you know, the the idea of having a revolution and not being happy with your government is something that's promoted, you know, by by our um, our doctrine. So I don't understand why, unless it becomes, you know, completely unruly and unreasonable, I don't understand why people see that in and of itself as a threat. So uh, it's just well, something that I we were actually encouraged to do is to speak against government. 
I, I would agree with you on that. And I think, you know, like, for instance, um, I forget the, the you know, I think the, one of the guys was sentenced to five years in prison for backburning, and they were basically saying, you know, we were backburning so that this area wouldn't be overrun with forest fires. And I think what happened is some of the for, the, for, the fire went on the federal lands, and then they were able to contain it, but it burned, you know, 100 acres or something like that. Okay, so obviously a mistake was made, but and, and it could have been dangerous. They put him in prison for five years for this. You know, there are drug dealers, major drug dealers, that got put in prison for only 10 years, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, you're, you know, for something, the, the, the punishment, uh, I didn't think fit the crime is the way I was looking at it in terms of what they were doing. And in fact, you know, in, in some ways you could say, well, has anybody in the Federal Bureau of Land Management been sent to prison for five years for, you know, ineffective management? <laughs> you, know, you know, they probably caused more damage in some cases than, you know, these guys did. So uh, it's just ridiculous. I, I think that's part of driving the, the, um, the, the reaction and why these people are, are doing what they're doing. And I, and I, and I understand, it, yeah, the, the, the people who, you know, went back to prison and their families, they basically said, hey, you know, we have no choice. We're doing this. You know, but we we have no, you know, and they're right. They 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 have no representation with the people that are taking over the lands. They're kind of like hijacking this cause to, to to highlight, you know, federal overreach in other areas. And they have nothing to do with the people that originally were at issue in this case. You know, they just went to prison and said, you know, we have no you know we have no choice. Obviously, we don't like this, but we lost our case and we're being sent back to prison. I think even the judge in the federal case. Or the state, the state, you know, that was overseeing it basically said, you know, I, I really sorry that you know this is the case. He wanted to let him go, if I remember right, you know. But he was his hands were tied by arbitrary laws, you know. And sometimes that's the other thing that happens too. We write all these laws thinking if we write more laws and more laws and more laws and make it more draconian, everything will get better. But sometimes it becomes an issue of well, you take away choice, and then you look at a situation, and the punishment doesn't fit the crime. And I think that's a problem, well, too. Well, first of all, the Hammonds willingly comply with the rule of law to serve out their minimum statutory sentences. And, yeah, I mean, there is an argument that, you know, the punishment didn't fit the crime. But when they were initially um, challenging the um, the case and when they were defending themselves, they could have categorically challenged the five-year sentences for, ar- for arson instead of arguing that the sentences would be con- constitutionally disproportionate, quote-unquote, under the unique facts and circumstances of the case. So, um, you know, there's... We had talked about before on uh, somewhere else about a national organization that's working with Congress to fix the act so it's not applied to similar cases like this going forward. Uh, and there's also some criminal justice reform uh, underway at the House Judiciary Committee to correct what's been recognized as an overcriminalization issue. But you know that's that's how it's supposed to work. I mean, the Bundys are exploiting the situation. Um, it, it will end badly if if they don't get out of there. But um, I think that whether or not they felt like they were justified, I mean, the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act of 1996, you know, talked about, you know, burning uh, certain properties. And, you know, there's some argument, obviously, about why they even chose to prosecute them under that. But, And, of course, there's also some argument about, oh, my God, if they were African-American or Muslims, I mean, this would have been already disrupted by now and yada, yada, yada. But... I think that um you know just getting back to the overarching issue of you know how this that subject came up really with me was that whole second amendment and government intervention and some of the things that uh, leak back into why there are people that don't um agree with the uh the gun control things because of their lack of trust of the government and 
the feeling that they're just going to have too much power in terms of their overreach. So, um, but for the gun thing, I, I obviously think that where people need to start and end um, so that they can do something productive is to say, yes, we absolutely do agree with more background checks, and we do agree that people need to go through training. Um, there's another there's another uh, conversation that people have about licensing, where people want to, to charge liability insurance, kind of in the same way that you have to get insurance for liability for driving a car. Um, what are your thoughts on that, by the way? I wouldn't agree with liability insurance only because I think it would become another way to create a, an unnecessary burden on it. And there's no way, who, who's to say if I buy a gun and stick it in a gun safe and lock it away, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be paying uh, a tax, potentially a high tax, you know, for somebody who's irresponsible. I mean, how do you demonstrate responsibility? This isn't like you know, necessarily driving a car. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a thing that's as easily to identify and categorize the risks. Maybe at some level, I think they've done in some cases, um, you know, where they've created, you know, licensing fees where they use to um, create gun education or, you know, victims funds and things like that. I, I guess I haven't really thought about it, but maybe some of that might be appropriate. Um, uh, but I, I just think that, you know, the, the issue overall is going to be, you know, hard hard to regulate. I mean, some things don't insure as well because obviously, creating a pool of risk doesn't uh, uh, eliminate the problem right now that we have of somebody who's mentally ill going out and getting guns. You know, I think uh, right where we, you know, Kitsap County, um, high percentage of uh, people is you know like I think more people are obviously committing suicide. So there's other issues that probably could you know benefit from more attention. You know, mental mental health would be, for example, one of them. Um, and then there's also, it's not just gun ownership that's an issue, but it's an issue of income inequality and poverty and crime and the, the correlation there. There's a strong correlation there. And it's not just poverty, it's really in, income inequality um, and, and, and people feeling like they're being treated unfairly, and that leads to lots of violence. So I think we have to address some of the underlying issues, obviously carefully. I mean, we're not we're not trying to announce some you know huge government free for all or giveaway, but I think we have to reduce. We have to create situations where people feel that they will be treated fairly, that they have at least equal opportunities, not necessarily their equal treatment, but equal opportunities, equal opportunities, you know, for people who work, for instance, uh, to be able to you know make a reasonable living, things like that. I wouldn't necessarily dismiss the um, the consideration of liability insurance at some level, but I also think that right now it's being introduced um, to really curtail gun ownership, and that becomes a very disingenuous position to take. Um, and then I also think that it starts to bring in another industry, which is the insurance industry, which everybody complains about um, as it relates to other types of insurance. And so you really need to make sure that your mechanisms are in place so that that's not abused and so it's not a runaway, runaway train in terms of costs and other considerations. Um, and then I think the third point that you made um, that you didn't really expound upon but you alluded to, and that is that a lot of people that are owning guns um, are in poorer neighborhoods where they don't feel safe. Um, and so right or wrong, whether or not we agree with them, they have guns. And being able to um, do that without having cost-prohibitive measures put in place to prevent that, uh, you have to look at the whole picture. And so I think that 
Yeah. And obviously, you're, I, I would say that most people go out when they own a car and they tend to drive that car on a very regular basis. They drive it every day to and from work, shopping, et cetera. It's not like people are going out there using their guns every day. So there has to be some kind of a proportional um, way to assess the liability and thus the insurance for mere ownership of a gun. And then, of course, that becomes other things that have the propensity or the the uh, prospect of being dangerous, and then you start saying, "Well, does everybody that owns, you know, do you have, do you have to get insured if you own a certain knife or a certain other weapon, or you know, it just you have to I look think at the, the the real intent of other behind." Address, you know? Oh, sure. And I think that it's always about um, making sure that your intent is really about solving the problem you claim you want to solve instead of just trying to have a political advantage over someone. Yeah, exactly. So, so I don't really have is. anything else to add to it. Um, I, it to me, it's like a yeah, subject. <laughs> so unless you have something to add, I'm more than happy to just wrap this up. No, I think uh, I, I think we've I think we've talked, you know, addressed certainly parts of it. I wonder who else out there has their ideas, and maybe they can plot, you know, post some notes on the Blog Talk Radio chat, or, you know, see what else is going on for them. But I, I think a lot of people just avoid the subject because they're they're afraid of it, and I think there is a lot of fear, and I think a lot of it's not unreasonable. People are concerned about you know their safety. They're concerned about diminishing. You know, lifestyle. They're turning. Just you're concerned about you know what their children are going to be able to do in terms of education. I mean, there's lots of things there, and so we are kind of at a turning point. Last thing I want to do is take away people's you know rights to be able to defend themselves. Um, you know, and we we need to find ways. I think we can solve a lot of problems dealing with things differently if we approach things. What's that all way. that clutter in the background? I'm sorry about that. Okay, Something I'm just curious. Okay. So uh, <laughs> it's like, hello, we're on the air. Uh, yeah, I, I think that um, the, the thing about these shows that I find very interesting, and I've I've talked to several other um, live-to-podcast-type uh, hosts, unless you're somebody like Oprah Winfrey or whatever, where somebody just wants to get on your show, I find that people are um, much more willing to get onto a Facebook um, where they're in a private group where they feel like there's some safety in that, even though you know who they are, they're kind of in a small closed group or a community and they kind of spout off about it repeatedly. Um, or they go to um, an article underneath a, a news periodical or whatever and they may be anonymous or they can protect their identity cer- to a certain extent. And then they also get the opportunity to pause before they write and think. Most people, some people really don't. You really wish they would. And, and you can go back in and edit and correct or whatever. But there's something about being on the air live um, in a public venue because this is a public um, broadcast and saying things and being identified and having that attributed to or assigned to or or, or you, it becomes a part of you, your comment, your belief. People have they're reticent about that. So I find that um, there are people that are that will write us. I mean, in the dozens, if not more, saying, "I want to show, I want to show," and then they'll start spouting off on even under the page, which is public. But you get you ask them to come online and talk about it, and I guess maybe they're just not comfortable doing that. So a lot of times when people say. You know, they want to have a show about a certain topic. Sometimes we do it, sometimes we don't. Uh, this was this was kind of um, popular at the time because of what was happening with Obama and the legislation um, earlier this month, so we did it. But um, I think that there's, there's one of those things that we consider, I guess, where I'm getting to uh, regarding the overall initiative that we have for the uh, Straight Talk Radio as to where we want it to go given the way that some people show up or don't show up. Anyway, so. Awesome. That's it. <laughs> 
me. I, I don't really have anything to add. Okay, sounds good to me. So uh, thanks to you, Charles, and all of you who called in. Uh, nobody called in. What is that, Chris? Uh, apparently there were some chat comments, but we had already addressed those things. This is our first 2016 broadcast, as I understand it, and you will find more of them right here or on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can follow us on Facebook at backslash STR8 Radio, Sammy Tommy Roger, the number 8 talk radio. And we are signing off here at about 2.39 Pacific Time on Tuesday, January 19th. We'll see you next time.